the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, high Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. As you might be able to tell, woke up with a little bit of laryngitis this morning. It's going around. I saw Morgan Ortegas had it yesterday, and she was flying back from somewhere overseas, and people suggested she drink bourbon. I said, haven't you got any prednisone? It's it's the bane of everyone on, in vocal work, but it comes and it goes, so you can't live. You don't feel bad. You just Your voice gets bad. Uh, I begin today on this wonderful day in January in the year of our Lord, 2024, and it's January 9th. I begin today a new column at foxnews.com. It's called Morning Glory, and it'll appear on Tuesdays and Thursdays morning, and I'll do long essays on the weekend for foxnews.com. I have written for years. I will continue to write for the Washington Post, but they're very different audiences. The Washington Post is a Beltway audience and, and mostly left and far left people in the comment section, and Fox News is center-right, and Fox News is enormous. If you have not been to foxnews.com, you haven't been to the rising superstar of the online world. So uh, I started talking with them last year about doing this, and I'm very happy to be joining the Morning Glory um, column uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. will be sort of a preview of the show. Uh, it goes up at 5 a.m. If, if you're up that early and take a look. This morning I wrote about why former President Trump should name his vice president and his cabinet now and in the weeks ahead. And I'll come back to that after I do the news. But head over to foxnews.com. Go to the opinion section. You'll find Hugh Hewitt there. Morning glory. Secretary Blinken is in the Middle East. In fact, I believe he's in Israel this morning attempting to, quote, normalize relationships with Israel. But it will require creating a pathway to a Palestinian state. This formula was learned by everyone under the age of 100 Uh, and over the age of 40, and they repeated on the Democratic Party side again and again and again, but there is no pathway, there is no two-state solution, there is a war. Meanwhile, President Biden went to Mother Emanuel's church in, in, uh, in Georgia yesterday, South Carolina, excuse me, in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, to give remarks on, I guess, just to launch his campaign. He's going to run a campaign on race and division, and he's going to run a campaign on Donald Trump being a fascist and a a threat to democracy. It's going to be a stupid campaign. The president doesn't have the ability. He's infirm. He doesn't have the ability to go long. Here he said just sort of crazy stuff. Cut number 16. We're trying to determine to erase history and your future. Banning books. Denying your right to vote and have it counted, destroying diversity, equality, inclusion all across America, harboring hate and replacing hope 
with anger and resentment and dangerous view of America. Okay, so if you think that's what is going on in America, you can vote for Joe Biden. I actually think that audience says I'm being pandered to here and I'm not going to go with that. He also repeatedly called out Donald Trump in the worst sorts of ways. Cut number 12, Joe Biden yesterday, Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston. Cut number 12. In our time, there's still the old ghost of new new garments. We all need to rise to meet the moment. Old ghost and new garments. I don't really know what that means. He might be referring to segregation, but there is no segregation. It is illegal. It is unconstitutional. He might be referring to things like lynchings, which don't happen anymore. Or he just might be babbling because President Bumble is President Bumble. And President Bumble's going to bumble through the next 10 months. And if we reelect him, this country is, I don't think we make it through four years. Uh, a confidential report, quote confidential, was leaked to the Telegraph in the United Kingdom yesterday, allegedly from the Defense Intelligence Agency, which found that Israel is unlikely to win a war with Hezbollah in the north. I believe this was leaked to bring pressure on the Israelis not to initiate that conflict. They have not initiated that conflict, but they continue to be the recipient of barrages of rockets from the north. And that is not acceptable. More than 100,000 Israelis cannot return to their homes in the north. And the defense minister, the prime minister, Benny Gantz, have all told every American who's come here, Move them back to the Latani River as the U.N. required in 2006, them being Hezbollah, or we will do it for you. There's going to be a war there bigger than the war in Gaza if they don't get Hezbollah to move back. An explosion rocked through Fort Worth, Texas yesterday. Now, immediately on the web, you saw the disinformation bots and bulls attempt to persuade you it was a terrorist or an immigrant. Looks like it's a gas explosion. And it was pretty bad. But I just saw immediately the troll bots, the farms were out trying to sow discord in America. You've got to believe, you've got to understand. There are hundreds of thousands of Russian, Iranian, and Chinese bots at work, and their point is to sow division among Americans. Get TikTok off your your phone and only read, only read the people that you trust. All right? You can follow me at Hugh Hewitt. You can follow Dwayne at Radio Blogger. Follow people that you trust. We usually put links into things. Don't go believing idiocy on the web. Secretary Austin offered his resignation. Joe Biden turned it down. Uh, Secretary Austin should have been fired. He left the chain of command. He did not tell anyone. He did not make provisions for it. And I just think of the double standard. You folks who are driving to work this morning to the Pentagon, who are in a uniform, can you imagine if you're the commanding officer and you left your billet for a week for life-threatening surgery and you didn't tell anyone? Can you imagine what would happen to you if you were the skipper of a ship or the head of a squadron or the, the, the colonel in charge of the ranger battalion? Can you imagine anyone with any responsibility in the Pentagon leaving their job, and I'm sorry, I'm glad he's getting out of intensive care, having surgery, and now elective surgery, you might skip away for a day. You might not have to tell them that. And, you know, all sorts of sorts of elective surgeries are out there. And you could be anything from, you know, a dermatological. I went to the dermatologist yesterday. That's the Irish diet. That's where you get all your uh, pale white skin cut off because you're wearing the sun too much in the 80s. 
Well, I, w- I went to the dermatologist yesterday. That's called minor surgery. And I did not end up in intensive care, thank God. But I suppose it could happen. Whatever it is, I don't need to know. All I need to know is that Joe Biden did not know that the chain of command was broken and that if the Houthis had hit one of our ships or if war had broken out on the northern border, we would not have been prepared to respond. And that is a fireable offense. Remember that Barack Obama fired Stanley McChrystal because someone on Stanley McChrystal's staff said bad things about Barack Obama, took the greatest field commander we had in the field at the time, Stanley McChrystal, and fired him for that. Lloyd Austin goes on a frolic and deep. The double standard. If you're Joe Biden's friend, there are no rules. And if you're not Joe Biden's friend, you're screwed. Oh, we've discovered a new scandal in Fulton County. Prosecutor Fannie Wills, Willis, big story in the Atlanta Consti- Journal, Constitution Journal and in the Wall Street Journal. It doesn't go to the merits, and there aren't any merits in my view, of the case against Donald Trump and his co-defendants, but it tells you a lot about Fannie Williams. The allegation is that she hired a lover and made him special counsel on the Trump case and, pay, and paid him tens of thousands of dollars and they had a good time which would, of course, give her an incentive to bring the Trump case. I don't know if it's going to impact the Trump case, but it does tell you all you need to know about Fannie Williams. Meanwhile, CNN has a new poll. Nikki Haley is surging. She's down to a single-digit gap in New Hampshire. Interesting, I think the race is collapsing into a two-person race. The Senate is not expected to release its text on the border security package until uh, next week. I'm going to talk with Senator Tom Cotton, Senator Joni Ernst about that today. Dave McCormick coming by. The Daily Mail in the United Kingdom reported that Iowa gunman Dylan Butler reportedly posted on social media right before he was coming about what was to come and how nervous he was. And if that is so, and if we know what we know about him, the uh, there's also a report that he called the FBI. Someone called the FBI on him. And he was a person of interest, and they did nothing. Good morning, America. Hugh Hewitt live. I am here to uh, tell you today, begins my morning glory column for Fox News, twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Occasionally on the weekend, I will be running a longer essay, 3,000 words and sometimes 2,500 words. And I think I have one of those coming up this weekend. But twice a week minimum for foxnews.com, the digital overlord. They are the digital Borg. They're taking over everything. So I thought, get with the game. I'll still write for the Post, but I also want to reach many, many more million people. Today's offering is pretty straightforward. If former President Trump quickly wraps up the GOP nomination, Trump should immediately roll into general campaign mode. He needs a way to make news on at least a twice-monthly basis and set an agenda throughout the 10 months ahead creating headlines apart from those which will swirl out from his various court proceedings. An obvious and a compelling tactic available to Trump, repeat and expand the great innovation of his 2016 campaign, the list. In that cycle, Trump put out a list of his potential Supreme Court nominees, nominees he would consider to fill the vacancy created by the death of Justice Scalia. The list not only underscored and magnified the importance of an issue crucial to the base voters, it reassured conservatives that Trump would put originalist justices on the court. It worked. It did work. If in this cycle Trump first names his VP selection early, that will help with fundraising and messaging, and then announces an intention to release every month or so more potential appointees for crucial jobs 
He will underscore the fact that Americans are not electing just a president, but 3,000 political appointees. Each announcement of the list, say a secretary of defense list that includes Tom Cotton and Mike Pompeo, as well as Congressman Michael Waltz. That could accompany a review of the Biden administration's appointees in that department and their failures. Contrast and compare, friends. Previewing in detail, Trump's second-term personnel will go a long way to bring in new supporters, even as it continually refocuses the public and the media on the failures of the Biden years. If Trump impresses upon the electorate the seriousness of the time via the seriousness of his potential cabinet and senior staff, Democrats will be left chanting, threat to democracy, threat to democracy, as Trump lays out his agenda and the people he will ask to carry it out. In future Morning Glory dispatches, I'll explain why Trump should begin vetting and thinking about six names for his vice presidential choice. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, Iowa Senator Joni Ernst, Wisconsin Congressman Mike Gallagher, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, former National Security Advisor Ambassador Robert O'Brien, or Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan. The wellsprings of this list should be obvious. All are serious voices on national security. All are veterans. Some bring a sliver of electoral advantage, like Gallagher in Wisconsin and O'Brien, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in Arizona and Nevada, where the LDS vote is crucial. But whomever Trump picks at the top of the GOP's 2024 ticket, at the bottom of his ticket on which he is the top, that's only one vote. One message, one fundraising multiplier. If Trump puts out a slate of his probable cabinet appointees, each person on that list adds voters. There's an old argument that naming people somehow violates prohibitions against promising office in exchange for support. Those who would prefer we not do apples-to-apples comparison of Team Bumble, that's actually Team Biden, with a future Team Trump, will point to 18 U.S.C. 599, which says, quote, Promises of appointment by candidates, which prohibits candidates from, quote, directly or indirectly promising or pledging the appointment or the use of his influence or support in the appointment of any person to any public or private position or employment for the purpose of procuring support in his candidacy. You see, it's not applicable. It does not restrain people from naming their cabinets. Trump, of course, is not going to be trying to gain the support of the individuals he names to his cabinet. This provision is no bar to informing the public of those whom Trump will ask to help undo the damage of the Biden years. That's my first morning glory. And I like my list. I don't know if you like my list. I like my list. I hope you will start reading morning glory over at the foxnews.com every Tuesdays and Thursdays. America. I'm Hugh Hewitt on Tuesday, January 9th. I'm live. Nikki Haley was live last night with Brett Baer and Martha McCollum on the Fox News Channel. Her opening question, cut number 23. First of all, Mother Emanuel Church is a sacred place. I mean, we had we lost nine amazing souls that night for just going to a Bible study. And I will tell everybody those amazing people, all 12 of them, when someone else showed up that didn't look like them or act like them or sound like them. They didn't call the cops. They didn't throw him out. Instead, they pulled up a chair and prayed with him for an hour. And when they bowed their heads in that last prayer, he began to shoot. These are people like Ethel Lance, who had just lost her daughter two years prior to breast cancer. But she would go around Mother Emanuel Church singing, One day at a time, sweet Jesus. 
That's all I ask of you. Give me the strength to do every day what I have to do. Tywanza Sanders, our youngest victim, had just graduated college. And on that night, he stood in front of his 87-year-old great Aunt Susie and looked at the killer and said, you don't have to do this. We mean no harm to you. Or it was someone like Cynthia Hurd, whose life motto was simply to be kinder than necessary. That's who these people were. For Biden to show up there and give a political speech is offensive in itself. But the second thing I'll say is I don't need someone who palled around with segregationists in the 70s and has said racist comments all the way through his career lecturing me or anyone in South Carolina about what it means to have racism, slavery, or anything related to the Civil War. Pop, pop. Good for Nikki Haley. The president did, it was a really tone-deaf, awful speech designed to divide the country by race. It was not true. It did not reflect well on America. And the president has speech writers. He just reads the words, and President Bumble gets through it as best he can. Here is Nikki Haley with the second response at the town hall last night, cut 24. I think Biden should be fired. This is unbelievable that we have a situation like this. When I had a crisis in South Carolina, if we were dealing with anything, and I had to deal with my adjutant general, I was on the phone with him every day, twice a day. We have a war in Europe. We have a war in the Middle East. North Korea tested an intercontinental ballistic missile capable of hitting the United States. China is on the march. First, I have a problem with the fact that Biden is not talking to his secretary of defense every single day anyway. Secondly, is there not enough connection that he didn't even know he was put in the hospital in intensive care at that? And then to go and say, oh, but his deputy secretary knew what was going on, but she's vacationing in Puerto Rico. There are so many things wrong with this, but the biggest one that bothers me, when I was at the U.N., we knew the intel. We knew the health of everybody in every country. They know what's happening to Secretary Austin. What bothers me is while our adversaries may know, our own president doesn't know. And these things continue to happen. And it's why I say the one thing that keeps me up at night is what happens between now and Election Day, because Biden is making America very vulnerable and putting us at risk. She is right. That's a fine answer, a very fine answer. And Lloyd Austin should have been fired yesterday. Cut number 12, the, the tw- 25, the third answer from Nikki Haley last night. Then, you know, for anybody that questions why we should care about Ukraine, that's a legitimate question for you to ask. The problem is no one is giving you the answer. And I blame Biden for all of that. He should always tell Americans why we're doing what we're doing. The reason we care about Ukraine, and I'll be the first one to say, I don't think we should give any country, friend or foe, cash, because you can't follow it and you can't hold it accountable. I don't think we need to put troops on the ground in Ukraine, and Ukraine doesn't want them, because they want to be able to win it themselves. But what I saw at the United Nations, terrorists, thugs, and dictators always tell us what they're going to do. They're amazingly transparent. Hamas said they were going to go into Israel. They did. China said they were going to take Hong Kong. It happened. Russia said they were going to invade Ukraine. We watched it. China said Taiwan is next. We better believe it. Russia said once they take Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. Those are NATO countries. That puts America at war. This is about preventing war. It's always been about preventing war. My husband is a combat veteran. He's deployed now. The last thing I want him or any of his military brothers and sisters to do is to go to war. But to avoid going to war, you have to prevent it. 
And just to support Ukraine, it only costs three and a half percent of our defense budget. That's it. The Europeans have paid more and they should. It's in their neighborhood. But this is about preventing war. And we have to make sure that we do everything we can to keep Americans safe and to keep our national security safe. Then Nikki Haley was guided by Brett Baer and Martha McCollum to the people she is running against. This answer has to do with former President Trump. Cut number three. And I told him then we needed a new generational leader. I told him then we needed to leave the negativity and the baggage behind. And I stand by that. Look, I think President Trump was the right president at the right time. I agree with a lot of his policies. But rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. And y'all know I'm right. Chaos follows him. And we... We can't be a country in disarray and the world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. We won't survive it. You don't fix Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And not only that, we can't go through another nail biter of an election. We can't. And if you look at the head to head polls, Trump on a good day might be up over Biden by two points. Wall Street Journal had him up by four. I'm in every one of those same polls. I defeat Biden by 17 points, 17 points. Do you know what that means? That's that's more than the presidency. That's governorships. That's House. That's Senate. That's all the way down to school board. But more than that, you go in with a double digit win over Biden in D.C. That's a mandate to get our out of control spending back on track. That's a mandate to make sure our kids are reading and get our education back to the basics. That's a mandate to secure our borders with no more excuses. And that's a mandate to bring law and order back to our country. Then she took a shot at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is fading as she is surging. Cut number four. I have never once said that. Well, wait, wait, wait. wait. In Bloomberg interview, you said um, anyone who says they'll leave America bankrupt, Social Security will go bankrupt, Medicare will, so we don't touch anyone's retirement, but go to people like my kids in their 20s and tell them the rules haven't changed. Change the retirement age to reflect life expectancy. Yes, for those in their 20s. But I have never said retirement age is way too low for everyone else. I mean, he's totally misrepresenting the facts. That's what he's done. Ron continues to lie because he's losing. But the reality is, that is what I have always said, is America should keep her promises every time. But rather than saying you're not going to touch it, like Ron says, we have to touch it. But we have to also be honest and over-communicate with those in their 20s that this is what we're going to do. But if we do this, we'll make sure you have something to go forward with. And it's also letting seniors and those in their 40s and 50s know, don't worry, we're not looking to touch yours. We're looking to actually save it so that you have something when your time comes. Then they turn to federal spending. And who is responsible for this enormous debt and ongoing deficit? Cut number five. Going back. They just may not like the going back and what that looks like. I mean, first of all, you look and as much as I would love to say Biden did this to us, our Republicans did this to us, too. I mean, you look back at that two point two trillion dollar covid stimulus bill that they passed with no accountability. We now have 80 million Americans on Medicaid, 42 million Americans on food stamps. That's a third of our country. And did Republicans try and make it right? No, they opened up earmarks and pet projects for the first time in 10 years, pushing through 7,000 of them last December. Want to know how they spent your money? $30 million on an honors college in Vermont. 
10 million to tear down a hotel in Alaska, seven and a half million on a courthouse in Colorado. And the list goes on. In the 2024 appropriations budget, Republicans put in $7.4 billion worth of pet projects and earmarks. Democrats put in 2.8 billion. So now you tell me who the big spenders are. All while one in six American families can't pay their utility bill. 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 50% of American families can't afford diapers. Social Security will go bankrupt in 10 years. Medicare will go bankrupt in eight. So what we have to do is realize there are no saints in Washington that got us into this. Stimuluses never work. Debt never works. Everybody talks about how great the economy was under Trump. But at what cost? He put us $8 trillion in debt in just four years. Our kids will never forgive us for that. That's not how you improve an economy. What we will do is we will stop the spending, we'll stop the borrowing, we'll eliminate the earmarks, and I'll veto any spending bill that doesn't take us back to pre-COVID levels. We will go and take as many federal programs as we can and send them down to the state level. That will reduce the size of the federal government, but it will empower people on the ground. And then we will focus on the middle class. Right now, the middle class, we're watching the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. We're going to go and eliminate the gas and diesel tax um, in this country. And then we're going to make sure we cut taxes on the middle class and simplify those brackets. And finally, we're going to make the small business tax cuts permanent. They made them temporary. They made the corporate tax cuts permanent. I grew up in a small business. Small businesses are the heartbeat of our economy. But we can't just say it. We have to prove it. So when we start to focus on the spending that's happening, and I will do it in every one of our agencies, is make sure we take them back to what their core mission is, get all these old programs down, get all this federal regulation down, get all of this extra bureaucracy down. That's how we will start to get our financial situation back on track. And that's why I think we need an accountant in the White House. One more cut where she talks about the border cut number six. We're not supposed to. And your question is exactly what I think every American is worried about. And it's not just the southern border. It's the northern border, too. I mean, you look at the fact that we have had eight million illegal immigrants come to that border. Biden sent back only one hundred and forty two thousand last year. That's it. We've had more fentanyl cross the border that would kill every single American. Number one cause of death for adults 18 to 45 fentanyl. And don't think for a second China doesn't know what they're doing when they send it over. If we want to deal with this, we have to deal with it once and for all. No more excuses. And that means more than just building a wall. We need to do more than that. When I was governor, I passed one of the toughest illegal immigration laws in the country. Obama sued me over it. We need to carry that nationwide. We'll do a national E-Verify program where businesses have to prove that the people they hire are in this country legally. We'll put 25,000 Border Patrol and ICE agents on the ground and let them do their job. They're not letting them do their job right now. We will defund sanctuary cities once and for all so that there are no safe havens for any illegal immigrants. Good for Nikki Haley on target last night. Very impressive performance at the town hall moderated by Brett Baer. Brett's coming up later. Welcome back, America. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas joins me. Good morning, Senator. Welcome back. Good morning, Hugh. It's good to be back on with you and a happy new year. To and you to you, and you uh, listeners. 
Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Senator, I want to begin with Joe Biden yesterday at Mother Emanuel Church. President Bumble said, I'm quietly working with Israel to significantly lower IDF presence in Gaza. That was not in his script. It did not help Israel. It's not true. What do you make of that? <laughs> well, I think it's just an example of how Joe Biden's not up for the job. Uh, I mean, he stumbles and bumbles around in public. He's doing barely one event per day. He's clearly overmatched by events. I mean, he just went almost an entire week without even knowing that his secretary of defense was in the intensive care unit and unable to perform the duties of his position. Um, I think the American people recognize that Joe Biden's not just uh, responsible for their high inflation and their wide open border and large part responsible for the chaos you see around the world, but he simply can't do the job, whatever his other policy failings are. I, I agree with this, and that's why I call him President Bumble. And I know you're a senator, you can't do that, but everything is, is like Mr. Magoo in the presidency, and it's becoming alarming. Let's turn to Secretary Austin. Senator, you, you, you served in the military. Would any captain in the Navy or admiral, any colonel in the Army or general, be relieved of command if they went AWOL for five days and did not tell their superior officer? Well, Hugh, this, again, a a shocking breakdown in communications and the chain of command. The Secretary of Defense is not the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. He's not the Secretary of Transportation. He's the key link between the civilian commander-in-chief and the uniformed military to include in the nuclear chain of command when the weightiest decisions imaginable might have to be made in a matter of minutes. And uh, imagine... If Joe Biden says, I need to speak to the Secretary of Defense immediately, and they put Kathleen Hicks, the Deputy Secretary, on from Puerto Rico, and he's like, Joe Biden, of all people, is like, who is this, and why am I talking to you, when literally seconds count? Now, Secretary Austin commanded at all levels in the Army, and one thing that I think he's going to have to answer for is if he was a brigade commander, and it turned out that one of his battalion commanders had gone in for an elective surgery and he hadn't been notified. And then he had to be readmitted because of complications and turnover responsibility to his executive officer. And the brigade commander, Lloyd Austin, wasn't notified of that. What would happen with that battalion commander and his executive officer and his sergeant major? I mean, I think the question answers itself. It uh, does. It's not entirely clear what the facts are here yet and who all needs to be held responsible. But plainly, people have to be held responsible at the Department of Defense. And it makes especially more sense when one considers the Houthis are trying to sink our ships. They're shooting at us every day. American soldiers are under fire every day. This war is hot. The war in Ukraine is hot. Anything could happen. The chain of command was basically broken for five days. It's it's astonishing. I've never seen anything like it. And, Hugh, I've spoken with several people who've held positions in and around the Secretary of Defense of the White House, former national security advisors, chiefs of staff, senior military assistants to the Secretary of Defense. All of them agree that this is an unimaginable breach uh, of the chain of command and of basic reporting. Uh, Again, we don't even know what procedure it was that Secretary Austin elected to have. And there should be a pretty good reason for it to have if you're the Secretary of Defense. I mean, obviously, if it's life-threatening or important for health, that has to happen. But if it's something that could have waited for a year, I mean, I think he needs to answer for that decision as well. But no matter what your procedure is, Hugh, if it's just having a root canal, if you're in a position like the Secretary of State or the CIA director or the Secretary of Defense, 
You have to have a contingency plan if something goes wrong. You have to give the president or the national security advisor heads up. You have to tell your subordinates, if something goes wrong while I'm under anesthesia, make sure you do the following very simple things. And it's just such such a, a breach of sound, simple judgment on such a simple matter. It really raises questions about the secretary's judgment on bigger matters and the judgment of those around him as well at a time, as you say, that we're in a hot shooting war. Especially when President Biden is in South Carolina making up policy on Israel that Israel wasn't aware of. Senator, last week you announced your endorsement of former President Trump to become the nominee of the Republican Party. Why last week? Why President Trump? Well, it's a pretty clear contrast between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Uh, Under President Trump, we had a booming economy. Real working class wages were growing. Our border was secure and our enemies feared us. And we had peace and stability, largely speaking, around the world. Under President Biden, everything has gone to hell and everyone can see it. Inflation has run amok. Families can't afford their groceries. The border is wide open. We had over 300,000 people crossing our country last year. And there is war everywhere in no small part because no one is afraid of Joe Biden. Vladimir Putin thinks he can invade Ukraine with impunity. Iran thinks it can unleash its proxies against Israel with impunity. Xi Jinping thinks that he can go up to the line against Taiwan with impunity. So it's a clear contrast for the American people. Do you want the peace, prosperity, and strength that we had in the Trump era, or do you want four more years of the chaos and incompetence, the inflation, and the... uh, uh, threats that we have under Joe Biden. You mentioned 300,000 across the border last year. I think you meant 3 million. Uh, by my... 300,000 last month, just last month. So last on an month. annualized okay. basis, you, right. that's 3.6 million on an annualized basis. Just think about that. That is the entire population of my state, Arkansas, plus a Vermont grown in just for good measure. I, 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 do, I can't imagine that. That's one of the big issues. That's why I want to ask you about the immigration deal. I've talked to a number of senators and John Kennedy and everyone else tells me they don't know what's in it. I know that if it comes out and it does not have 900 miles of border wall paid for and constructed before anything else happens, it's dead on arrival. Have you talked to Senator Tillis or Senator Lankford about this so-called immigration deal? Uh, Senator Lankford has kept us apprised of the broad contours he's negotiating. Um, I'm not sitting down with Chris Murphy or Chuck Schumer, in part because Chuck Schumer often refuses to sit down with me, as happened in the Trump era, because he knows I I won't throw in the towel and just go for a deal because uh, I want a deal for a deal's sake. Um, I'm worried right now, most of all, that the Democrats are continuing to refuse to have any reforms to the parole system. I agree with you that we need to finish the wall where walls are critical. But a a threshold issue is whether or not the Democrats are going to agree to reforms of the parole system, which the president has abused to allow hundreds of thousands of migrants in this country. Because to have asylum reform without parole reform, Hugh, is like damming the left-hand side of a river. I agree. I I agree. There are some must-haves. Necessary, but not sufficient. And that is one of them. The wall is another one of them. And I just don't think they should they should put us through this if they can't get to yes. If they can't get to yes, let's take it to the electorate because the electorate agrees with us. Finally, Senator, I, I've started a new column over at Fox News uh, every and Tuesday and Thursday. And today I have a list of six names. I want former President Trump, if he locks up, that's a big if. Nikki Haley is surging. Governor DeSantis is still in the race. But if President Trump locks this up by the end of Super Tuesday voting, 
I would like him to name his running mate and the rest of his cabinet, but especially his running mate early so that we can have someone out there raising money and and driving the narrative when he's in court. What do you think? Well, Hugh, I won't presume to tell Donald Trump how to run his campaign, especially how to make critical choices like vice president and his cabinet positions. I'll trust him to do what he thinks is the best to help achieve our, the goal that we all share, which is beating Joe Biden and the Democrats in November. And he'll make a decision, I'm sure, sometime in vice president in the next six months or so before the convention and then obviously for cabinet positions immediately after the election. The key priority right now is uniting the party and beating Joe Biden. That is the key priority, but I think it would help. I, I mean, he is going to be in court. And when you're in court, by the, by the way, let me let me divert for a second. Fannie Wells has been shown to be corrupt. She hired her boyfriend, apparently, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, other reports, and paid him a lot of money. Do you think that undermines the indictment, even though it's not specific to the indictment? Well, obviously, it undermines everything about Fannie Wells' tenure uh, as a district attorney in Atlanta. It certainly undermines the highly politicized indictment of Donald Trump and many of those around him. Uh, I assume that there's going to be some kind of investigation now. I'm not sure the structure of Georgia's government, who would conduct that investigation, but it seems to me like she's got a lot to answer for. Uh, And once again, Donald Trump's uh, opponents and accusers are largely engaged in projection, you know, attacking him for corruption or making these kind of false allegations. And in return, their own house is deeply disordered. I mean, apparently she was paying her lover hundreds of thousands of dollars to prosecute Donald Trump and then going on fancy vacations and splurging on luxury items. I mean, this is the woman that the people of Atlanta uh, get for their district attorney. I think they deserve a lot better than that. And certainly Donald Trump and all those people who were indicted on this politicized witch hunt deserve a lot better. Yeah, my first reaction was that does not go to the merits of the indictment. But my second reaction is, yeah, it does. It gives you a motive to indict someone. If you're going to hire your boyfriend and funnel hundreds of thousands of dollars to him, that calls into question the motive behind the indictment. Do you think someone from the governor's office ought to look at this? Someone should look at it again. I don't know what the structure of Georgia's government is and who is the appropriate authority to investigate misconduct by the local DA, whether that's the governor or the legislature or the attorney general or some independent uh, prosecutorial commission. I just don't know what the structure of Georgia's government is. But someone certainly needs to look at it, because, as you say, it clearly undermines the integrity of not just Donald Trump's indictment, but the indictment of all those others, like Mark Meadows, his former chief of staff. It gives them a clear financial and personal interest when Fannie Wills is paying off her lover to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars on this politicized witch hunt to get Donald Trump and all of his aides so she can go on fancy cruises or trips to the uh, Caribbean or whatever it was and buy all the luxury goods she wanted and continue to have uh, a positive relationship with her lover. I mean, the whole thing just stinks like a rotting carcass. Every time we talk about these these trials, it goes that way. Senator Tom Cotton, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Keep coming back. Send Tom Cotton on X, the site formerly known as Twitter, if you want to keep up on what Senator Cotton is up to. Welcome back, America. Iowa caucuses on Monday. Joni Ernst is the senator from Iowa. Senator Ernst, welcome back to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hey, great to be with you, Hugh. Thank you. It's going to be three degrees below zero. I don't know what the wind chill is going to be like across Iowa. How do you expect turnout to be next week? 
Well, I do hope that people turn out regardless of whether uh, we are getting some pretty heavy snow across the state. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be an exciting time, and, and it only rolls around once every four years. So, folks, get out to your caucuses. Have you endorsed anyone, Senator Ernst? I have not. Um, this is a long-standing tradition between the U.S. Senators and from Iowa. Uh, we want to welcome everyone into the state. We don't want to, you know, pick someone ahead of the caucuses, and and we just want to see as much participation as possible. Now, Senator, my hypothetical is that President Trump is going to be the nominee. Let's just take that as a hypothetical. Nikki Haley is surging in. She had a very good town hall last night. Ron DeSantis is still in the game. One of those three will be the nominee. But let's just assume that former President Trump is the nominee again. I have a column over at Fox News this morning. I've started right there on Tuesdays and Thursdays that lists six people who could be his running mate. I put you on that list because all six of my people are people with experience in the military and national security. How important do you think that is for a vice presidential nominee if it is indeed the former president? Well, if it is the former president, and, uh, you know, he's really doing quite well in Iowa, of course. Uh, but I do think that having a level of experience, whether it's foreign policy or military, is extremely important. If you look around the world and everything that's going on, whether it's the Houthis that are targeting American service members abroad, whether it is the war in, in Israel and Gaza, the war in, in Ukraine, I think it's incredibly important that you you have someone with the level of experience and background that brings credibility into that office. So, Hugh, yes, I think it's incredibly important. Now, I, I don't want to put you on the spot and ask you whether or not you would agree. I know you probably would, but I've listed Tom Cotton, Joni Ernst, Mike Gallagher, Mike Pompeo, Robert O'Brien, and Dan Sullivan. My question is to you, generally, not specifically with regards to any of these, do you think former President Trump, if he is the nominee and it's certain that he's nominee after Super Tuesday, should he name his vice president early because he's going to be in trial after trial and we need someone to go out there and raise money, raise awareness, raise issues? What do you think? I do think it's important to uh, announce someone early. And, of course, we see a lot of partisan uh pushing at the president, and this will continue through this next year. So you do need a surrogate out there that's able to raise the money and, and to speak to a number of the issues that we will be facing in these next number of years. We have had an incredibly weak president with President Biden, and we just see the world imploding around us because of that weak leadership. So you do need someone that's out there that will be out there early and often and communicating with the voters. I think it, it, that also will be very important. Now, I'm also going to make an argument in future weeks at Fox News that he ought to name his cabinet, and maybe not down to the level of specificity as running mate, but of my Secretary of Defense, it'll be Pompeo, Cotton, or Mike Walt. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, right. My Homeland Security will be Joni Ernst or Mike Gallagher, that sort of thing. Do you think it would help to have a bench to compare to the actual President Bumble administration? Because I no longer call President Biden President Biden, President <laughs> Bumble. Yes. And, you know, to have a selection available out there is is great to do. And it just demonstrates to those that may be undecided that this will be a, a very thoughtful president and someone who has taken great consideration of those that might be uh, assuming these positions uh, with the Biden administration. You know, we see all of these people, they're 
political hacks basically moving into very important positions. And I, I just look at like the number three out at Derek Chalet, the nominee uh, for the policy position. Uh, and I don't know that he'll even get through the Senate, but the guy has been so Iranian friendly. I know. It's astonishing. It's It's crazy. So I think to have someone who is a nominee for president that has has put thoughtful consideration into who will serve on the cabinet will be very important and demonstrate to American voters, especially those that are undecided or maybe a little soft in the middle, um, it will help them understand that this is going to be a solid administration that works for the American people, not for special interests like the Iranians. Senator Ernst, you've been in uniform for a long time, so I want to ask you about Secretary Austin. It's my belief that any commander or captain or admiral or general would have been relieved of duty if they went missing in action and didn't tell anyone for five days. Should Secretary Austin be fired or resign? Well, I, I, you know, I have very strong personal feelings about this. It's absolutely inexcusable what happened. Uh, I think as a, a member of Congress, we are demanding oversight. I think that needs to happen. We need to flesh that out. And then he needs to step up to that challenge and, and decide what is the right thing for the American people. If he can't be there and if he can't inform his chain of command, nor his boss, the president of the United States, that he is incapacitated, that that is an issue. Um, so I think we'll see movement here in the next couple of weeks, and I hope he chooses to do the right Quick, thing. Quick, am I right about my assumption that any colonel and above and any captain above on the Navy side would have been relieved of no, command? No, Kevin. Yes, Hugh, absolutely. Senator Joni, it's always good to talk to you. Enjoy the caucus on Monday night. And you keep bet. coming back. I'll be right back, America. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Dave McCormick is going to be the next senator from Pennsylvania. You can go to his website at DaveMcCormickPA.com. Welcome back, Dave. You're just back from Israel. Tell us about that trip. Hey, good morning, Hugh. How are you? Good. Uh, you know, my, my wife and I went last week, and uh, we were 36 hours on the ground, you know, to show our solidarity with Israel. And it was uh, it was a mind-boggling trip. We spent... Uh, an afternoon at Kofar Azah, which is right one of the communities where there were 100 people murdered, um, about 600 meters from uh, the Gazan border. We met with hostage families uh, who, you know, are trying to imagine how they're ever going to get their kids home. They're, these kids have been 90 plus days in the tunnels and dungeons of Gaza. We met uh, a young woman who had been wounded. Uh, she was at the music festival. I've been shot through the knee. And they had come into a bomb shelter and just killed everybody. And she was underneath the bodies of her friends. And so they didn't, the terrorists thought she was dead and she wasn't able to get out until she was rescued hours later. And then, and then finally, the thing I won't be able to ever forget is this 47 minute video, which, which you probably heard about, Hugh. It's, uh, yeah, I won't it's, watch it's it. It's made by the, I, I, I yeah, know about it, but I won't uh, watch it. It, it, it understandably, it's uh, it's very graphic and it's taken from the body cams of the terrorists. And uh, I'll try not to be too graphic, but everything from killing parents in front of their children to burning families and homes to decapitating. And so what you realize is this is pure evil. Um, Hamas, uh, it's not just about Hamas uh, attacking genocidally, barbarically attacking Israel. It's about evil. 
um, evil underwritten by Iran, evil that's manifesting itself in, with Hezbollah, the Houthis and elsewhere. And uh, and so I came away thinking uh, that the Israelis must really destroy Hamas. You can't live side by side. You can't negotiate a settlement with people who want to sneak in in the middle of the night and, and slit your throat. And I also came away thinking that, uh, you know, we needed to show leadership and vigilance uh, relative to Iran. And this is where I think President Biden has been weak and, and really uh, appeased Iran. And I think Bob Casey, my opponent, voted for the Iran deal in 2015. And, and this strategy has failed. Uh, Iran's underwriting all this terrorist jihadism across the Middle East. They're coming in our direction. And um, we need to stand strong uh, and, and, and create deterrence in the region. President Biden gave a speech yesterday and he got heckled and the mass dropped. He said, I'm trying to get the Israelis out of Gaza. That was the first real moment that we heard what he had to say. And Dave McCormick, I was shocked. And the Israeli media was shocked that President Biden said that. Are you alarmed that the president yeah. doesn't really know what he's saying? Well, I, I am. And, you know, you see this growing opposition. Um, within the Democrat Party, uh, Bernie Sanders, you see legislation that's being proposed by you know, Summer Lee and others. And I think you have to start with the basic moral clarity of what's happened here. And that's why I've been so disappointed by so many leaders, whether it's our college presidents or our current sitting senator, Bob Casey, or others who have not stood up and de definitively declared what has occurred here is uh, indisputably evil. And there's not two sides to the story. The other thing I saw, Hugh, which I want to note, is um, I, I was able to go into an Israeli military base. And actually, I can't share the details, but I was actually with a drone unit that is targeting terrorists in Gaza. And what I saw was a, the protocols, a level of care, dual, you know, dual authentication. They had to validate that everything they were going to do was targeted directly uh, at terrorists. And so, uh, listen, I'm heartbroken. When I see Gazan women and children that are hurt or killed because of this war. But we have to be clear that there's no alternative to eliminating Hamas. We have to be clear that the Israelis are not only um, following the laws of war, but going beyond that in terms of added care. And we have to be clear that the ha Hamas are the ones that have infiltrated civilian society, the hospitals, the schools. They're the ones that are blocking humanitarian aid to the innocents in Gaza. And they're the ones that are standing in the way of the Gazan people going to safe zones. Now, and I so want everyone in Pennsylvania to, to know that Dave McCormick needs your help. I'm on all over the state. You can go to DaveMcCormickPA.com and contribute, but sign up for the volunteer force because we got to win that seat. And I want to ask you very quickly, Dave McCormick, while you were gone, bureaucrats tried to take down the statue of William Penn. And Bob Casey didn't say anything. He didn't say anything until after it had been stopped. What is wrong with that guy? Well, this is, but this is the bankruptcy of the progressive left. They twist themselves in pretzels, these college presidents, to defend the indefensible. You have William Penn, who is the founder of Pennsylvania, um, on the site of his home, Welcome Park, Welcome was the ship that brought him into Philadelphia Harbor. And, and William Penn was a liberal. Lim William Penn was the most inclusive <laughs> in that generation. It's, it's remarkable. But this is what happens when you define the world in terms of the oppressed and the oppressors. You, because you can't um, make the argument in crisp, coherent ways, you twist yourself into indefensible things. And, and this is where we need moral clarity and leadership. Bob Casey 
has not demonstrated any of that. And uh, and that's the contrast between him and me. He's status quo. He's someone who doesn't want to lead. I'm someone who wants to lead and shake things up. And I'm very glad you went to Israel with your wife. And I want people to go to DaveMcCormickPA.com. Throw some bucks in the tin. Get involved. Become a walker. This is a race that we can and must win to save the republic. DaveMcCormickPA.com. Morning, Glory America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, joined by Brett Baer. Good morning, Brett. Happy New Year to you. Good morning. Happy New Year. The uh, the History Club was a big hit on Christmas in my household. I'm curious, when you will you be coming out to California to cover the California primary on Super Tuesday? I'll be doing that from New York, Hugh, but uh, I'll be out to California sometime. Because uh, I made a promise to my nine-year-old grandson that he gets to have his book signed by you. So I, I'm got, I got an IOU <laughs> out there. So, uh, Brett, I, I watched the town hall last night. It was very well done. It may be the best format for American politics. Maybe two at a time would be good, too. You're doing DeSantis tonight. Anything different tonight? Not structurally. Uh, about the same. Uh, I think, you know, th- we're in the middle of a snowstorm, uh, which is not unusual for Iowa. Um, but it is, you know, challenge getting around. And we had a good turnout last night, and I think, you know, it, it'll be a good turnout tonight. We've already received dozens and dozens of questions. And the, the great thing is, is that, uh, Hugh, these are questions that really tap into, I think, where people are broadly, not in, not just in Iowa, but but across the country. And, um, and so I, I think it's going to be roughly the same structure and obviously a, a different focus with Governor DeSantis. Now, I played six of your exchanges, question and answer, and Governor uh, Ambassador Haley went between a minute and a half and two and a half minutes on each response. This is the opportunity to show people that you can persuade and actually have the stamina to do this. It contrasts sharply with President uh, Bumble, I'm calling him, at Valley Forge and Mother Emanuel. Did she strike you as bis or normal energy? She's in, in the prime of life and ready to go. I do think she's coming into her own as far as her ability to answer questions. And I think this is just from a, a observer's perspective uh, from the beginning when I interviewed her when she was getting into the race until now. I think she's exponentially better. And I know you've talked to her as well. So um, I, I just think she's better at being on her feet and answering things impromptu. I thought some of the lines that she said about, you know, uh, S- Defense Secretary Austin and it should be Joe Biden who's fired. I think, um, you know, a couple of these things were, were newsy about going after the president for delivering that speech at AME, um, Mother Emanuel. And, I, you know, I think she's getting better. The question is whether she can close the gap. I don't think it's going to happen here in Iowa. But there's some new polls out this morning in New Hampshire that put her pretty close. That's right. The new CNN poll has Trump at 39 percent, Haley at 32 percent, Chris Christie at 12, Vivek Ramaswamy at 8, and Ron DeSantis in last place at 5. However, a Boston Globe, Globe Suffolk University, USA Today poll shows that um, Trump has a 20-point lead over Haley. I tend to believe the CNN poll based upon who I talk with every day. I cover the state every day in New Hampshire. We're on all over every corner of the state. And people write me and they talk to me. I just think it's a lot closer than 20 points, Brett. I don't know that she's ahead, but I think it's a lot closer. Yeah, I agree with you. I've been up there and um, I talked to a number of people on the ground. And I think I think there is an organization. You know, uh, 
Governor Haley is out today with Judge Judy, who endorses her um, uh, today, and she'll be campaigning in Iowa. Um, she says she's making a push here, um, and I, I think that that's probably a push to get second. And if that happens, you know, it probably changes the race. Now, I also asked last hour Senator Joni Ernst. I've got a column over at Fox News, which I debuted today, which will be on Tuesdays and Thursdays, called Morning Glory. And I think the former president is going to be the nominee in all likelihood. And if he is, he should pick a vice president who has national security chops. One of the people I listed is Joni Ernst. She didn't comment on that, but she did agree with me that national security credibility matters a lot for the Trump vice presidential pick. A, Brett, do you think he will pick someone early? B, should he? And C, if so, what kind of characteristics does he need? Yeah, I, I tend to believe that he's going to pick somebody early if he becomes the nominee. I think that that is, a, is advantageous uh, to have somebody else on the trail even before you get the um, to the convention. I tend to believe that he's, you know, I, I think the, the female pick uh, and someone with national security I think is a really good good guess. Um, I was not thinking Joni Ernst, but that's a great one as far as the possibilities. You know, obviously Nikki Haley's name comes up and there's a little bit of bad blood now, and I don't know if it's it's going to um, materialize that way. Yeah, I, I don't think bad blood is. I think that does wash that out. And my list includes Cotton and Gallagher and Pompeo and Sullivan and Somebody else I can't remember, but I'm not too sure that the woman thing, it matters as much in this race as it has in the past. But Joni Ernst is on there. Brett, in terms of President Biden, he did back to back events this week. I do not believe Hugh Hewitt does not believe he looked good in either of them at all. He looks very old. Do you think he did well in either of those events? Um, listen, I think that the speeches were obviously designed to be very pointed, very, you know, um, a threat to democracy. And that thread, as we've talked about before, I, I didn't think worked, but it did before the midterms. Um, they're clearly going down that road. You know, I found it interesting when the protesters interrupted at the church about uh, pro-Palestine, Palestinian protesters that he came out and said, you know, I've been trying to get Israel to get out of Gaza as fast as they can, and I've been doing that every day. And, you know, that was the impromptu Joe Biden. And um, I just, it raised some eyebrows as far it's as a gaffe. what's really... Yeah, yeah. I covered the, the Israeli press immediately said, what? Because I keep my eye on the Israeli press, the English press from Israel all the time. And they didn't know that he was trying to get them out of Gaza. And that's just the gaff machine back gearing up. Yeah. And, you know, everything is on a teleprompter. But oftentimes we get the news nuggets in those impromptu moments. Now, Brett, last question. Uh, you did a town hall with Nikki Haley last night. You're going to do one with Ron DeSantis tonight. Have they both agreed to come on your show at the same time? Because I cannot. John Podhortz and I are both mystified that the two of them are not asking every network to do it. The RNC has taken off all the all the breaks. Anyone can do whatever they want. I think those two would benefit from being, you know, Lincoln Douglas style seven days in a row. Have they asked Fox News to set something up next week? They haven't done that yet, but we're facilitating it. Um, obviously, the debate on Wednesday is not a sanctioned RNC debate. And you're right. It's CNN putting it together uh, for President Trump would only agree to a town hall if it was at the exact same time. And so 
we did it then. Uh, we think it's better to have him answer questions than not um, for from Iowa citizens and from us. And I think that'd be great. Uh, we've offered it, and now we'll wait and see what the campaign says. Yeah, I hope they take you up on that. Brett Baer, thank you for joining me. We'll be on Special Report tonight. And there'll be another town hall tonight with Ron DeSantis, Brett Baer, and Martha McCollum on Fox News. Make sure you watch it. Follow Brett as well on X at Brett Baer. Follow me over to uh, the other studio so I can talk to Generalissimo for a second here if he's if he's off the phone. Are you there today, Generalissimo? Did you come in? Just checking whether or not you came in. See, he's not there, is he? I'm uh, here now. Oh, you're there now. What, what, did, we, did you not task me to do something else at this period of time? We, we, we patched you in from your home. I'm glad to see you're awake. MyPhDWeightLoss.com is where heavier people go to get skinny. Yes. And you went there 16 months ago. I yes. always have to move the months up. And in three months, you lost 50 pounds, and you've kept them off for, let me see, three, 13 months, correct? A little over a year, yeah. And the Christmas cookie season didn't put a dent in your 50? No, not really. I mean, I gained a couple, but I've already lost, uh, I lost it again. So uh, it's, There it's was fine. some hesitation there. What hesitation was that? You mumbled. You said, I gained a couple, but I kind of No, Joe Biden mumbles. You you mumbled. And did you you mean to say you lost it again or you're working on losing it again? I lost it again. Okay. You're You're back in the zone between 50 and 45. Yes. You're saying that without... A reservation or can, or or a mental reservation? Or yes, you. Yes, you. Okay, 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. Uh, have you talked to Rachel this week? I have not talked to her this week. Talked to her last week. I would like you to talk to her and see if people have called as a result of their blowing their New Year's resolution and deciding I'll start again. This time I'll do my PhDWeightLoss.com. Uh, that would be a good conversation to have to see if, if uh, the phones are ringing. They should be. They, well, they should be. I just thought maybe it would be a good day. I'm, I'm nudging you. But in the meantime, you should be posting Joni Ernst, and I don't know why you're not. Uh, because some... Thank you very much. Yeah. Let's come right back, uh-huh. America. I've got... Let me begin with Byron York of Fox News and the Washington Examiner. Hello, Byron. Good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Uh, Byron, if that bill, the immigration bill, comes out and it doesn't have a wall in it that's paid for and erected, do you think it's dead on arrival? I think it is, um, and here's the thing. I, the one thing I do worry about, certainly in the Senate, is you know that over the years there's been kind of a bipartisan consensus to throw money at immigration and pass bills that you can uh, characterize as being tough on immigration. And at the same time, there's been a bipartisan consensus not to do anything about it. Um, so, I, you know, that still may have some appeal uh, in the Senate. Uh, but um, the weird circumstances of this bill in which the president has insisted, I mean, we should say this is the most intractable issue in American politics. I mean, it's the most resistant to solution issue in American politics. And the president has insisted that it be tied to aid to Ukraine and to Israel. That is, there'll be no aid to Ukraine and Israel unless you solve the most intractable issue in American politics. So it's, there's there weird circumstances with this bill, and I'm still guessing that nothing is going to happen. 
I think it is intractable, and I know it is intractable if they don't put the wall in. I just, I, I just hope they realize, because I've done this four times, I think I've talked to you before, the Kyle effort, the Corner effort, the Rubio effort, I've done this four times. Each time they did not put in a wall, the Marco Rubio effort tried to pretend there was a wall, and it got snuffed out and killed. And if there's no wall, there is no support on the right. It is that simple. Well, they did pass something called the Secure Fence Act. Was that was 19, 2007, I believe. Right. That was a standalone bill for 700 miles, and that was fine. It didn't get built because it was it had uh, uh, an incomplete authorization and no appropriation. Well, yeah, it, they 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 passed this bill, said we're going to build a big fence and it's going to be secure, and then. <laughs> Then and they, they didn't, didn't do, it. do it. And then people are tired of bait and switch. I really do think it's a dead end. All right, let's go to Iowa. I just spent some time talking with David Drucker. I played a lot of Brett's and uh, Martha's town hall last night with Nikki. She did, I thought, a very good job. What did you make of her performance last night? Yeah, I thought she did a really good job. I thought I thought there was no um, big news in it. I think the, the, the thing that might make a difference in that is that everybody was in was in Iowa. She was in Iowa. Brett and Martha were in Iowa, and all the questioners were Iowans. Um, so if you're a, a voter in Iowa, this is the first one of these things that you've seen uh, actually all in Iowa and all about Iowa. But, you know, do I think it really changed the dynamics of the race? Probably not. I think it may have added to her surge in New Hampshire. I also think there's a separate dynamic at work, and I'm not sure who it helps. You don't want to get asked. Chris Christie got mad when I asked him, are you going to drop out? You don't want to get asked that because if you get asked that, it, there's something behind the question. Ron DeSantis got asked, are you going to drop out yesterday? Here's what he said. Cut number seven. That's a lie. Totally made up. And, you know, what, when people, you know, fabricate these anonymous sources and do it, what, why he's saying that is because he wants people to somehow think, oh, you know, why should I go in negative 20 degree weather to help? No, you should show up because, you know, we're the one that can get the job done for this country. Uh, but that report is categorically false. When people ask that, do you think it's a setup or do you think it's a real question? Well, I think at the DeSantis time, it it's, could easily be both. I mean, um, yep. he is still, in the real clear politics average of polls, second, a very, very distant second in uh, Iowa, kind of nowhere in New Hampshire. And you just haven't seen how things are going to uh, play out. Now, if you if anybody cared enough to ask Asa Hutchinson that, and they don't, that would be a perfectly legitimate question. With the status, uh, I, I think it's not. All right. Now, let me turn to Israel. I believe that 10-7 is going to hey, define this I election. Say, can, I say, can I say one more thing? We, oh, sure. Yeah, I have, I have, been, I have been complaining about not having an, uh, any new polls in Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, and we're talking about Nikki Haley's surge and doing all this stuff on the, on the basis of three-week-old polls. But this morning we have two new polls from New Hampshire, and they conflict. <laughs> One of them shows the Nikki Haley surge heating up, and Haley is just seven points behind Trump. And the other one shows the Haley surge cooling, and now she's 19 points behind Trump. So I, I, I don't really know, but we have new, uh, new polling, and it's um, non-conclusive, shall we say. Yeah, Josh Kroshauer uh, pointed out that the new poll that shows the Haley surge is the first one where if you took Haley and Christie and combined them, they would be Trump. But as Chris Christie told me last week, not all Christie voters go to Haley. In fact, 15 percent of them go to Trump. 
And that, I thought that was a fascinating, and he that was from his own uh, internal polling. Yeah, it was the only bit of news in the uh, interview. He got mad at me, but yeah. that's okay. It, it's uh, the only bit of news is that he volunteered his internals, and that's not usual. All right, <laughs> Lloyd Austin, uh, you've been covering yeah. D.C. for a long time. You know a lot of military people. Every single military officer I know in a position of command, so you know a lieutenant colonel, a colonel, a general, or a lieutenant commander, a commander, a captain, or an admiral, every single one of them, if they left their post for five days and didn't tell anyone, they would all be removed from duty, and many of them would be dismissed from the service. What do you think of the double standard for Lloyd Austin? Oh, this is absolutely outrageous. And, you know, I, I, I do want to add something maybe listeners haven't heard. In 2006, Donald Rumsfeld was the Secretary of Defense, and he had elective surgery on his shoulder, um, and it involved only local anesthesia. He wasn't actually put under full anesthesia. Uh, and even, even with that, he transferred authority to his deputy for a few hours while he was uh, in surgery. And this was all completely public. You know, contrast this to the Secretary of Defense being hospitalized in intensive care for days, and the president doesn't, doesn't know about it. National Security Council doesn't know about it. His deputy at the Pentagon doesn't know about it. The oversight committees on Capitol Hill don't know about it. Um, this is, you know, I do not see how Lloyd Austin stays in office after doing this. I agree. Now, the report yesterday is that he tendered his resignation and President Biden declined. Yeah. But I want to point out, it's a double standard. There, and, and I invite members of the military to talk to civilians. If they if they went AWOL, there's a term of art for it, you know, absent without leave. If you go AWOL and you're the commander of a ship, you're the skipper, you're not going to be in command of the ship that night. If you're in charge of the 82nd uh, Airborne, you're not going to be in charge of the 82nd Airborne. You can't do that. I mean, you can take days off, but you have to tell people. What do you think he was thinking? I don't know. And, and by the way, we still don't know what the health problem was. I mean, that, that's another part of the lack of transparency here. We don't, we don't know what this was. He apparently went in, had this done, I believe, on the 22nd of December, um, experienced some sort of uh, bad results, and ends up at Walter Reed in intensive care. Now, I will say he's, he's a retired general, but he, we have civilian control of the military, and he is the civilian secretary of defense. So maybe you can say there's a different standard there, but certainly as a as a retired general. I can think of any number of things because I know of things that happen. When you okay a hostage rescue effort, the president okays it to the SECDEF, the SECDEF okays it to the uh, uh, combatant commander in charge of it. Sometimes it'll be special forces, sometimes it'll be central command, sometimes it'll be both, but it doesn't go to the joint chair, doesn't go to the vice president. It's a chain of command. If the chain of command is broken, it doesn't get done and stuff happens that you're not expecting. I really do think Americans are underestimating, or maybe the media doesn't understand what this isn't like Pete Buttigieg going on maternity leave, right? Paternity <laughs> leave. This is not. This is not uh, the, the 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 head of the FCC wandering away. Although Ajit Pai was very important to everything every day, but it's it's just a Secretary of Defense, Byron, and it's like the the media is giving him a pass. Here's my my killer app question: If this had been Chris Miller or Mark Esper. Or Jim Mattis, what would the reaction be today in town? Well, it would certainly be analyzed, um, seen in the context of chaos 
uh, in the Trump administration, or it would be seen as part of the president's efforts to uh, kowtow to Vladimir Putin, or it would be given some sort of sinister reading. The very best reading it would be given would be that it would be uh, part of of the uh, symbolic of the chaos in the administration. And you're right. First of all, U.S. forces are on alert everywhere around the world all the time. Uh, and now, of course, we have dealing with two wars, one in Ukraine and one in Israel. And it's just astonishing that the Secretary of Defense disappears. And our ships are under siege. They, they, I mean, they could have been hit. I just can't get over it. Byron York, follow him on X, follow him at Fox News. Read him in the Washington Examiner. Come right back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt Live. David Drucker joins me from the Dispatch. David, I saw the new polling this morning. I'm sure you have as well. Nikki Haley has closed the gap in New Hampshire. Seems to me I'm in Switzerland. I just try and call balls and strikes that Ron DeSantis is (laughs) fading and that maybe the two-person race that people wanted is going to materialize between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. What do you think? Well, listen, uh, barring a a major upset in Iowa this coming week, uh, next week officially, but uh, but less than a week from now, I think that's how it looks, that if there's going to be a consensus alternative to Donald Trump, if, then it's it's more likely to be Nikki Haley than Ron DeSantis. Obviously, we'll have to see how the Iowa caucuses go. It's possible Ron DeSantis could overperform overperform polling, overperform expectations. Um, but there's only one polling trend we have seen really since this race got underway in earnest almost a year ago. And that, that suggests anybody other than Donald Trump, possibly, maybe, we don't know, but who could be. And that's the polling we've seen recently in New Hampshire, where Haley first closed it to about 14, 15 points, maybe 12 points. And now in the CNN poll, is down seven with Trump under 40, even though Chris Christie is at 12 percent. And Christie and, of course, Nikki Haley are competing for the same voters. So we'll have to see how the voters react to all of this. But that's how it looks. You know, Governor Christie last week told me that his own polling shows that 15 percent of the people who intend to vote for him would vote for Donald Trump if they didn't vote for him. I thought that was news. But of course, of that 85 percent, I would bet the overwhelming majority of it goes to Haley. That's not what he said. I'm just guessing. What do you think? (laughs) Well, I think when you look at the motivations for uh, voters who are interested in Christie, I I do think he's right in this regard without looking at data. 
oftentimes we make assumptions about second choice and third choice. And, oh, well, if you're for this candidate, you must obviously be for this candidate as your second choice. And that's often not how it goes. There could be somebody, look, there could be voters that like that Christie's brash and, and bombastic sometimes and blunt. And without him in the race, well, who's the other brash, bombastic guy in the race? Really, it's Donald Trump. But look, having spent some time in New Hampshire, I'm heading to Iowa again this week. I'll be in New Hampshire after that. I mean, spent some time there over the past year. I think it's clear that there are there are not some insignificant number of Republicans and independents who usually vote Republican. And even in this case, some Democrats, because there's no real Democratic primary that are looking at the prospect of Donald Trump being nominated, aren't happy with it. And Christie's been the most appealing because of how he talks about Trump. And their next most likely choice is somebody they think can beat Trump, even if she or he wouldn't be their first choice to begin with. Originally, that was going to be DeSantis. If you looked at early New Hampshire polling and all of the grassroots endorsements he got, which were a lot, but but he has faded and nobody's putting their vote into somebody who can't win, especially if it's not their first choice to begin with. What what interested me when Governor Christie said 15, his own polling showed 15 percent would go from him to Donald Trump if he dropped out, Christie dropped out. I thought immediately of what you thought. There are people who like combativeness, and the most combative guy after Christie is Trump. Let me play for you something Ron DeSantis said last night, which you never really want to say in a campaign. Cut number seven. That's a lie, totally made up. And, you know, what, when people, you know, fabricate these anonymous sources and do it, what, why he's saying that is because he wants people to somehow think, oh, you know, why should I go in negative 20 degree weather to help? No, you should show up because, you know, we're the one that can get the job done for this country. Uh, but that report is categorically false. He was asked, David, are you dropping out? And that's not the question you want to get, is it? No. It's absolutely not the question you want to get. Uh, but I think it shows you where the, the DeSantis campaign is just in terms of the mood, right? And look, DeSantis has not been able to buy a good news day since the day before he announced for president. I mean, I could count on one hand the number of good news days he's had. And the question right now in Iowa isn't can he somehow upset Donald Trump? Maybe he can. You never know. But the question really is, can he come in second and hold off Nikki Haley? And I wonder if that's what Ron DeSantis is thinking, because they released his campaign, released his closing Iowa ad. That's how they described it yesterday. And what is that ad all about? I mean, there's some positive snippets in there on Governor DeSantis. It's all about how bad Nikki Haley is. It's not about how bad Donald Trump is. It's about how bad Nikki Haley is. So that tells me. Uh, the same way I noticed at the end of the 2020 campaign that all of a sudden Donald Trump and his surrogates were going to Georgia quite often. You pay attention to where people go and what they say. It tells me that they're very concerned that Nikki Haley is going to get really close to them or possibly eclipse them in Iowa. If that happens, I think he's out of money. I don't know what he would want to do, but I think he's out of money. And so they feel like they need to grab that vote share back so that they can have a good showing in Iowa to at least have a chance to go to New Hampshire with resources and and I think this is all indicative of that clip you played when these are the kinds of questions he's answering with less than a week to go. Uh, I agree. If, if people are asking you, are you going to drop out? That usually means you're going to drop out. David M. Drucker on X, the site formerly known as Twitter with the with the dispatch. He'll be in Iowa this week. Thank you, David. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.